This episode of Down to Business is brought to you by TF Moran, a leading land planning and engineering firm with offices in both Bedford and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review with our Down to Business podcast for December 15th, 2021 a year that I know one of our guests will be glad to see behind them, but that's another matter. But anyway, uh, today we have two really special people on. We have Andy Valinsky, who's probably familiar to all of you out there. He's a, he's a well-known attorney who's now kind of, kind of retired, I guess, working as a civic scholar at Franklin Pierce University, kind of retired from the, the full-time practice of the law. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And he's working as a civic scholar. He's doing uh, some other stuff with his law uh, for uh, just basically just helping people. And maybe he could discuss that a little bit. And we have Steve Dupree, who is uh, also very well known to all of you, I'm sure. He is the uh, head of, founder of the Dupree Companies, a bunch of hotels and other properties in Concord and other places. And he's also been very active in the Republican Party. And I forgot to say about Andy, he ran for governor. Uh, the gubernatorial nomination in 2020. Yes. And and lost it unfortunately for him, but and others. But um, he uh, he was a very active Democrat. And Steve is a, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe you as a Republican, Steve. So we'll get to that right now. So anyway, I got, I got these two guys on. And the reason I have them on is because they were wrote an op-ed that appeared in several publications about basically the level or the depths of our civil, our civic discourse, I guess is a way to put it. And I don't know which one of you guys to start to describe, you know, what happened? How'd you get together to talk about this? Andy, why don't you take that? Sure. So uh, Steve and I have been friends for probably 30 years or so. Uh, We have very uh, different political backgrounds. Um, Steve, probably best known for being co-chair of the McCain presidential campaign. And I was Bernie Sanders' lawyer. So we, we come from very different perspectives. Um, but we've always gotten along well, and we've always been able to talk through issues, even if we don't agree. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the civic scholar in residence at Franklin Pierce University. And Steve recently joined their board of trustees. Uh, and when that happened, Uh, I saw Steve and said, you know, essentially, why don't we do something together? Um, Because the level of civic engagement is fading and the level of civil discourse almost doesn't exist anymore. And it's having an impact on the uh, number of people who can run for office, the number of people willing to participate in, in public events, public governance, um, and Steve readily agreed. So we uh, penned uh, an op-ed together. Um, I don't know if Steve will agree, but it almost didn't matter what we said in the op-ed. The fact that the two of us could be civil to each other um, and jointly encourage people to become involved in really the, the everyday happenings of New Hampshire life um, while being decent to each other um, was probably enough of a message. 
Um, and so things, uh, we've been invited to talk a couple of times since then, um, and we're happy to do it. So let me, uh, let me switch over to Steve. I think that sums it up pretty well. I mean, uh, Andy and I have had great debates over coffee over 30 years where he tries to pull me to the left. Or I try and pull him back to the center. And, you know, I don't think either of us have made much progress. But <laughs> what we find, we talk about very specific issues. Like, for example, when Andy was running about running for governor, I said, hey, I have an idea on how we follow in the finest New Hampshire tradition and tax out-of-staters more which I think had some value if we we're going to raise revenue. And, you know, we, we, we've had fun talking about those. But just watching the level of how people behave in civic forums, from meetings of supervisors of the checklist in small towns to school boards where it's been exacerbated by the COVID crisis and people trying to deal with masks, no mask in person. And it's just I think over the last four years, and you know, uh, certainly President Trump didn't start it. Uh, civil discourse has been on a steep decline for many years, but I think in the last administration, frankly, uh, President Trump made it okay, perhaps, to be uh, rude, uncivil sometimes, uh, say things or attack people, and uh, it spread. And uh, people think it's okay if you disagree with a planning board decision to give a planning board member the finger or a, a school board member the finger. Um, you know, everybody immediately jumps to a conclusion that if somebody disagrees with you, uh, that they are working out of bad motive. And, you know, I think our goal was to say, look, if the two of us who have very different political views can each start from the point that we're decent people who all care and love New Hampshire and love our country, and we may disagree on solutions, but we should be able to talk about it. And on some issues, if we're voting, you know, you're in the Board of Selectmen, you're going to win, some you're going to lose. But it isn't, as, as President Obama used to say, it's not the end of the world until it's the end of the world. And I think people have lost a perspective, and every little decision becomes worth a major fight and nasty Facebook posts and on and on. So, I hope, if nothing else, people who read it go, hey, if these two characters can even write a piece, my God, they talk, um, maybe <laughs> take a breath. Maybe we should take a pause. And the next time I go to a planning board and I'm upset and think my neighbor is a communist and trying to build a new you know, communist meeting hall next to my beautiful uh, conservative bastion of a home, that they aren't bad people. Maybe I should talk to them about how the patriots are doing and whether the patriots are going to be facing the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. You know, I have to say, I, I had a conversation with Donna Sytek, the former Speaker of the House, many years ago, because I remember having in this in the cafeteria at the State House, and it was after she she wasn't any longer the, the Speaker, but it was I, God, it must have been 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, but she was then I, she was talking about how things were so much different when she was there, and, and people talked to each other, and Democrats and Republicans would go to each other's kids' weddings and go have dinner and they'd go meet, you know, they'd go over to, uh, you know, the Barley House afterwards or back in the way old days, the Hampshire Highway Hotel, you know, together and they would spend time together. But that doesn't happen anymore. And it certainly doesn't happen at the federal level either. But when did this happen? Well, I, I don't get because it because it, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, Andy will have a different perspective. You know, my best friend, I served in the House 72 to 76. I was eight, just turned 19 when I was elected, I think for about a decade. 
I was the youngest in the country. You know who one of my two or three very best friends was? Hugh Gallant. Hugh Gallant got elected in a special election in Littleton after I think it was Elmer Souther died, a dairy farmer. The only way Hugh could win, I used to tease him, was a special election when nobody showed up because Littleton didn't vote for Democrats back then. And he was assigned and he sat next to me. And we'd sit through these long roll calls because there was no electronic roll call machine. And then we'd go out to lunch. And between, between the car salesman and the auctioneer, uh, Dick, uh, Withington, I could barely get a word in, and I talk a lot, but I could. But we became really good friends, um, and I, I don't know what I, I think it started. Obviously, at the federal level, where instead of comedy and decency, uh, it's it spread down to the state level. I know at the national level, Congress used to meet 48 out of 52 weeks a year. You would do it your primary subcommittee Monday morning. You didn't leave until Friday noon. So a lot of congressmen, even if you're from New Hampshire, you spent a lot more time in Washington and the subcommittees actually did the work and it flowed up to the caucus on what party positions were. So it was worthwhile. You, you spent a lot of time with your colleagues. Now the caucuses say, here's how we're gonna vote on this or that. And frankly, being on a congressional committee is probably not worth much. It started there, it's, it's sort of come down to local level. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know when it started, but I, I, I too held elective office. I was on the executive council for four years. Um, and I hate to admit this, but I don't think elected officials individually are that important. And I think part of the problem is that everyone who currently, not everyone, a lot of people who currently hold elective office think it's all about them. And as a result, they take steps and follow strategies designed to improve their personal position when at times that really is against the interests of the state or the local community. And, uh, you know, uh, I mentioned the executive council. I think Steve and I were both horrified at the executive council meeting at St. A's that was shut down uh, by the shouting match. Um, and, you know, some of that is the leadership of the meeting uh, should have taken control. But a lot of that is this perverse interest in bullying, which is really what it is. Um, and that, too, was part of why we came together. I have to say that what's it, it, it's disconcerting when I when I. You basically read the news every day and, and you'll see an example of something going on, whether it's in New Hampshire or elsewhere. Uh, what, is there an answer to this? I mean, this, you know, it, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like Pollyanna here, but I'm looking for some help here. <laughs> what can help me go sleep at night? Do you see any kind of way out of this? Well, yeah, I, I'll I'll start with the state level. I, you know, I. I've been thinking about this recently, Andy, and I haven't talked about it. I wonder whether the time has come, particularly in the New Hampshire House, to have a nonpartisan speaker who isn't the nominee of either party. I think if you are a speaker elected by the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, it makes it a lot harder to be the enforcer. And sometimes people need to be called out for poor behavior, for uncivic, uh, uncivil uh, behavior for just rudeness. And, you know, when your, your position in the chair depends on the fact that you are the nominee of one party or another, that may not be a solution. But I look at the 
New Hampshire House of 400, and that's the size of town meeting in a, a lot of towns in, in the state of New Hampshire. If there's any group that should be an exemplar of how to be nice, how to get along, how not to cast aspersions on the character or the motives of somebody you disagree with, it should be that group. And I would like to see leadership, and I take nothing away from Sherm Packard, who's a friend who's done an impossible job this term, say, everybody who's elected to the House, this is the standard of conduct we expect. We expect you to go beyond that. I'm amazed at the number of people who can go into a, their friend group or go to church and be the sweetest, nicest people in the world, and then you put them in a civic arena like pit bulls are going, what happened here? Yeah, I, I, I have a radical idea in that I think it starts with each of us. Um, and I've, people don't always get that I do this, but I've looked for opportunities to pull a punch. You know, I, you, you don't always have to be in someone's face and you can look for opportunities to work together. So, uh, you know, as different as Steve and I are, Joe Kenny and I are even, much more different. And um, we served on the council together. There was uh, an application for uh, a commutation of a sentence of a lifer at the Berlin prison. Uh, and the guy was uh, a Vietnam vet who suffered PTSD and had a whole story. Now, I, I knew that Joe's a retired Marine colonel. Uh, I didn't know how to vet this guy's story about his experience at Quezon. So I went to Joe and said, will you go to prison with me? And I'll be damned. He went, we listened to this guy for like an hour and Joe came out and said, he's telling the truth. He went through the siege of um, Quezon and the experience was awful. Uh, and then Joe and I supported the commutation against everybody else. So the other Democrat didn't go with me, uh, but Joe Kenny did. And, uh, you know, I think that created a relationship that gave me some opportunities, gave him some opportunities to talk with one another. That's really interesting. Hey, I'm going to take a break for just a second here for our, for our sponsor. Be right back. For more than 53 years, T.F. Moran has been a leading land planning and engineering firm. With offices in both Bedford and Portsmouth, their professional service areas include civil, structural, and traffic engineering, land surveying, landscape architecture, environmental, shoreland, and wetland permitting, stormwater monitoring, as well as other construction support services. T.F. Moran utilizes the latest technology, putting their expertise to work to deliver high-quality, cost-effective, and low-impact solutions to best serve their clients. They are proud to be involved in some of New Hampshire's largest development projects, such as the SNHU Milliard Parking Garage in downtown Manchester, Woodmont Commons in Londonderry, and Whole Foods and the Market and Main Development in Bedford. At TF Moran, they are deeply committed to the communities in which they live and work. They are honored to have received the New Hampshire 200 Award and the Business Excellence Award from New Hampshire Business Review. And they are proud to have been voted the best of business in the engineering category for the last nine years in a row. 
please visit them at tfmoran.com to view their project portfolio and learn more about the company. Okay, we're back with uh, Steve Dupree and Andy Velinsky talking about uh, the state of our discourse. And I have to say, it's been very, uh, very good discourse because no one's yelling at each other. We'll try to get them go on this time, but probably won't. <laughs> Wouldn't be a good. <laughs> you know, I, I, it was <laughs> um, something that, that, that you maybe think about this, Steve, when you're talking about comparing the the house to a town meeting. I lived for many years in in New London, which is part of the Kearsarge Regional School District, and for many years we would go to school district meeting, and in the gym at the high school it was packed with people. From all over, because this is a, this is the biggest regional district in the state in terms of geographic area. It was six towns, very different towns. You got Newberry and New London on Lake Sunapee. You have Bradford, Springfield, other communities that certainly are not as property rich as and as you know wealthy per capita as, as New London and Newberry. But uh, we'd sit there for several hours very often, going over stuff. People from all over the district, and then somewhere in the uh, 90s that there was a bill passed was it called sb1 that allowed uh communities to decide to to get rid of town meeting basically and make it just an advisory thing and as same thing with school district meeting and uh and and then you and that you would have voting by ballot and i could tell you almost from that year that it started that the the lack of understanding of what goes on in the school district the 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 people who are just siloed, because you know this is a big district. You don't see people all the time. You go to different stores. You go to different. Some people head up north to Hanover and Lebanon. Other people head down south to Concord. You know, it's just it just doesn't. It, there's no place. There's no community. And and it was it was really eye opening to me that it would be once a year people would be sitting in that gym, and they would talk to each other. They might not agreed, but they talked to each other. This way. You just look at the list and I don't want to raise my taxes. I'm voting against it without having any discussion, without having, you know. And, and is, I mean, and that's, all, that's all over the state now. Because I, I don't know if it's a majority of communities at this point that don't do it anymore. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a, a problem seeking a solution that maybe needed a fly swatter got a nuclear weapon. Uh, the concern was, and you saw some of that in the best of the legislative process, that at school board meetings or school meetings, annual school meetings, advocates who wanted to add a program or spend money would sit there all night, even if that vote was coming up at 12. And and sometimes they'd pass a program because it would, and I remember seeing this in the 70s and 80s reported all the time. You know, we added lacrosse and people were against the money or something. And and they, you know, followed the parliamentary procedure and they won. And, and those people who left early or didn't like the result complained and said, hey, I, I know how I want to vote, the way this process is run, it's being gamed by some people, instead of being the first thing on the agenda, because we cared about it most, it was last, we got outfoxed, why can't we just go and vote? Again, a, a problem that may have been a fair problem to address, a solution that was had very unintended consequences. I mean, part of the reason um, that I try and spend so much time talking about building communities and main streets is to force people to see each other because you're right, Jeff. SB1 changed the dynamic. In one sense, it made for a quote-unquote purer democracy. Everybody got to vote, but the result was a loss of community and consideration. Yeah. 
you know, something I ask uh, my students when I go into a new class is, how do you get your news? And in this case, how do you get your information? Um, and you find that uh, too often the answer is I don't, or there's what I would consider over-reliance on a single source um, mm. and no effort to get a diversity of views. Um, and that plays out in your switch from town meeting to SB1 communities um, in a pretty pure local way, um, and it's a problem. And mm. Steve and I have talked about this. I, I don't think you can convince uh, anyone of anything unless you're in community with them. And it might be the Main Street community, it might be a town meeting or a school district meeting, it may be a book club, it may be you, you both like the, the Red Sox or the Paths. But if you don't have that opening to have a civil discussion, um, you're gonna quickly come to loggerheads. And so we're, it sounds trite, we're, we're advocating for community and a little bit of grace. Yeah, it, it, it's really, it's, it's you know, because I have lived in New Hampshire for now since 1981, so that's a long, long time. And I really have been struck over how uh, it just doesn't seem like the same kind of place anymore. I know it's a lot bigger state, a lot more people live here, but it just doesn't seem as the same. Uh, it used to be like people, you would know everybody, well, not know everybody, but you know a lot of people, and it'd be from all different walks of life. And now people, like I said, are kind of siloed with their, their own people who it's like an echo chamber you're just going around walking in, a, in your own echo chamber all the time well uh not to be too abstract but uh bob putnam who lives over in ringe yeah. wrote that great book bowling alone which diagnosed this and then followed it up with the impact on kids the opportunity gap about called our kids but you think about it after world war ii everybody came back and my dad could be, or my mom could be on the school board with a guy who worked for a White Mountain Oil Company, worked with a guy who had a small carpentry company, and uh, you know, global, good news and bad news. Globalization's brought us cheaper prices. The bad news is the American workers, in an effort to keep up with lower wages from around the world, are working longer hours, two jobs. The percentage of women working outside the home versus 50 years ago, and and you look in communities, they're having a hard time getting coaches. They can't get people to be Boy Scout or Girl Scout leaders or 4-H leaders because nobody has the time because they're having to work so many hours. So uh, as, as the pace of life has picked up, the burden on the average American has gone up and they have less time to do it. And you're right, there's also huge tribalism. People move into communities and go to churches and go to schools with people who reinforce whatever their mindset is, um, not not maybe taking a walk on the wild side and doing something with somebody from a different tribe. And I think social media has just exacerbated that. And the pandemic makes it worse, of course. Yeah. Much worse. Yeah. Siloed you even more and yeah. made intense feelings about things. Andy was right though when he made a point. Every when he asked his students where they get their news, I, I have a lot of friends who are kids who are students and when you find the number of them, I, when you ask them, do you read any newspaper, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Boston Globe, a uh, conservative newspaper, even, uh, no, they get their information from Instagram or Facebook and it, or Fox News or 
or MSNBC, and it's not source information. I've had some great debates with people, young people, who don't want to get a vaccine. I say, okay, why don't I get the three best scientific papers I can find to argue in favor? You go get me the three best you have against it, and let's read them and talk about them. And I never get an original source material. I get, you know, a report from, you know, the download of last night's uh, CNN, Fox, MSNBC. You know, not not hard fact. And it's so easy to obscure fact now and mislead people as to what is fact. Uh, I mean, just yesterday you saw that great example uh, on Fox News where on the one hand you have commentators like Laura Ingraham texting the White House saying, my God, the president has to go out and stop uh, this riot. It's destroying his legacy. And then four hours later goes on TV and says it was Antifa or somebody else. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> showbiz. Showbiz, not newsbiz. Yeah. Pay, to, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And guess what? It happens on both sides, but it's ridiculous. I only cite that example because I happened to hear it yesterday. Yeah. So I have I have one other question to ask you guys. Did you get any response from people in public, you know, in public life, you know, elected officials or other people, you know, who sort of hang around that community after your after your appearances and after your uh, your op-ed? Go ahead, Andy. I, you know what? I got a, a bunch of attaboys um, from people who travel in, in the same circles that I do. Um, I didn't get um, any, I don't think, crossing the lines. Um, and sadly, nothing from my party's leadership. Um, so there, you know, and, and this is obviously part of, part of the problem. Um, party leadership has to try and distill every dispute down to gain advantage. And I, I think the point of the piece that Steve and I wrote together was that neither of us was trying to gain advantage. We were trying to cooperate. And that doesn't always rise to the top in political circles. Yeah, I, I think I had the same reaction. I had a few attaboys. I had a few people go, you and Andy Valensky can really talk? Oh, yeah, my God, yes, we can. We can even find common ground on things. Uh, and a, a couple of people who were in elected office said, hey, that was a good reminder. They, they were expressing to themselves personally to maybe take a deep breath while they jump in. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get both party chairs? And, you know, I was a party chair for a long time, and my job was never to say the Democrats were doing a great job on anything, but it would be so refreshing. It used to be that the season of picking uh, of, of picking up the cudgel and the war axe was shorter. I mean, when I was Merrill's party chairman, Steve Merrill, if he had a big announcement or a big initiative or the other side came out with some really, we thought, boneheaded policy idea, we'd like to hit it, even if it wasn't in the campaign season, because people would remember it, you know, but I can tell you the number of times you do that in a two-year cycle, you could count on one hand. Now, I think the the modern warfare and politics is every day all the time, because in fact, social media and the news media nationally plays it that way. So you're not considered a good chairman of either party if you aren't whacking away all the time. I think it, I, I, 
you know, if, if you don't want to serve too long as chair and you're in your last term, here's my advice to Steve Stefanek and Ray Buckley. How about coming out with a press release praising the other side when you find something you have common ground on? That would be shocking. And, yeah, that, would, and that, would, that would be, that would be a national story at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it probably means you'd be done as chair, but what the heck, if you're not planning to run again. <laughs> yeah, I... One of the, this, I just thought about this. One, I do have this one last question. Did you ever have you ever have you heard from or make or contacted Justice Souter about this? Because this is something that he was talking about from the day he left the Supreme Court. Is there any? Is that something that I just sprung on you? You, you did, I, just, but I I haven't uh, had contact with him. Although I have had contact with some sitting state Supreme Court justices who um, did appreciate oh. what we're talking about. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I only see Dave Souter once in a while grocery shopping Sunday morning, so I, I haven't run into him recently and said anything, and I'm not going to bother him, but you're right. He raised the issue, uh, sounded that call a long, long time ago. John McCain used to talk about it all the time. I mean, people forget John McCain to be fiery that's an understatement he could be profane and man did he have a good temper because i was on the receiving end a few times um and he would go at it with people like ted kennedy and ted kennedy could do the same thing those guys had some serious battles they go wow this is how two middle-aged or old guys hit each other you know they go boxing <laughs> and i'll take a deep breath and mccain was very good about i mean one of the amazing things about him was that he'd get really angry about something then 20 minutes later he'd cool down and he'd go boy was that stupid <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go apologize, and he would do that all the time. And when that would happen, people who had been on the receiving end of his wrath or his complaint would go, "I never would have expected it from John McCain." And then friendships developed. Um, you know, Joe Lieberman talked about it all the time. I mean, uh, uh, but there are so many in public life who, when they screw up or drop the ball or do something wrong or offensive, think that it's either a sign of weakness or somehow can't say, "Hey, I'm sorry." I shouldn't have done that. You know, I, I, people do, I mean, everybody is imperfect. Everybody makes mistakes. I just wish people would take a breath. And when they do something that crosses the line, when they're rude, they don't have to act like some of the national politicians they've seen and just be defiant and more defensive about it. Say, I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. You know, every time I've made a mistake in the public arena and you say you're sorry, it's amazing how it, it works. People just need to be a little nicer. That's all. Would that would be a good start? You know, can I add one other point? Um, we've had the opportunity during COVID to regularize citizen participation in the state legislature. Uh, for a while, we used video access, um, and God knows how many Zoom calls all of us have been on or go to meeting. We. Steve, I think we both agree that that should be normal practice, that going to a state house subcommittee meeting should be something that people in Littleton can do and Keene can do. And the more people who do it on a regular basis, the, the less of a big to-do there is about it and the more likely you are to participate in a civil way. So we're talking about things that folks should do to be more civil. I think there's also a responsibility for leadership 
to make it easier for people to participate. And we've shown how technology can allow that to happen pretty readily. At the town level, at the county level, you're right. I mean, it's great to invite the folks down from Pittsburgh, New Hampshire to testify on a fish and game bill. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a logger and you're out working uh, in the woods, you, you can't take a whole day off to come down and talk about a forestry bill that's going to impact your industry. So, uh, you know, uh, when we first pass right to no laws, the more sunshine, the better. It's the uh, which Supreme Court justice said sunshine uh, is the greatest disinfectant to bad policy and politics, and it's true. So, I mean, I think that's one positive thing out of the pandemic and uh, technology, particularly in state government, tends to move behind the federal government. Trust me, moves way behind the curve, uh, but uh, it should happen at all levels. To be honest, I think federal subcommittee hearings of the Small Business Senate Select Committee should be uh, broadcast. People who care about an S Small Business Administration or Farmers Home Administration rural development issues should be able to hear what's going on rather than than having to have somebody interpret it for them on late night news. Very interesting. Hey, listen, I want to thank both you guys very much for this. It was really a great conversation. Andy Valinsky and Steve Dupre, you guys, I really wish you uh, the best of luck in getting people, more people to, to hear what you're saying, because I think it's really a very important message. Well, anyway, thanks again, guys. Have a really good holiday. Thanks, thanks yeah, for you having too. Have a, Be well. Peace be yeah, with be you. Be well, everybody. Bye -bye.